Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the vine. Hello, I'm Max Lopez. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bindings. This week we are going to cover a hard case crimes book called Grifter's Game, which is by Lawrence Block. And it was actually published in 1961 under a title called Mona, which will make more sense if you've read the book or as we get into this story here. And I believe it was published into the hard case crime series in the early 2000s. Because although all the hard case crimes books look like they're very old, this one is pretty old, being written and, and published as Mona in 1961. They all have these covers that are very reminiscent of like the Hard, uh, Hardy Boys covers or like the Nancy Drew covers, which those two were basically the same with different characters. I think there was even a point where there was like a Nancy Drew nancy drew hardy boys crossover i don't think i read it i think that was still i would think i was still pretending to read books back then just to get like, time pass in class but if you can picture a hardy boys cover this is kind of like an adult version of that which i love that style of art it's like a, it's like the old like uh it's kind of like old movie posters how they just like movie posters nowadays just aren't the same these covers are so reminiscent of that particular era of, of mystery stories. I just absolutely love it. And I've actually read some other Hard Case Crimes books that had similar covers, or at least like that same style of art. And I covered them very, very early in the podcast. I mean, I think they're in like the first, they're definitely in the first 10 episodes. I think that later by Stephen King was like the third episode. And then a couple of days or a couple episodes later, I did uh what was it colorado kid and joyland and of those colorado i liked them all um just because i'm a sucker for stephen king uh later it was probably joyland was the best later was second best and colorado kid was okay i, I talked about this last time actually with uh, agatha agatha christie's and then there were none that it's hard to kind of i guess it's hard to judge colorado kid too much because it's so short and it, it actually ranked on i looked up the best uh what's considered the best uh hard case crimes books that they've put out there's like a lot of them at this point some of them were written for the series and some of them uh, are like re-released under this this publishing not publishing house but like this series of hard case crime books because they're not necessarily mysteries but uh as far as that goes it's not really it's not really a mystery in my opinion like it, it was under the mystery section in my library uh and it's definitely a hard like it's definitely a crime story but i i don't think it's i don't think it's a mystery not in the same way that and and then there were none was a mystery even though in and then there were none it was cool because none of the characters were detectives i i would like to read a true detective story uh mystery i i don't believe i've ever read that since anything like that since the hardy boys so i'm gonna have to uh find something i'll talk more about this once we get to the end kind of looking at what i have on the horizon so this is part of the hard case crime series the only other ones i've ever read is stephen king's 
uh, later Colorado Kid and Joyland. I really enjoyed it. I think that these books are kind of hard not to like because they're so short. And, like, the story is captivating for what it is. If it was 500 pages, I probably wouldn't have... I probably wouldn't have loved it if the end result was going to be what the end result is in the story. But it being like 200, I was kind of thinking about how I was going to, uh, you know, talk about these kind of, this style of writing is so much different than what I'm used to or what I kind of cling to these long extended stories with very in-depth character backgrounds and really deeply thought out character traits and character development is so well done. And it's not that these stories don't have it, because I also love that part of reading where I get to kind of bring in my personality into it. Like, the main character in this story, my version of him, is always going to be a little bit different because it is, there is a lot left to the imagination, and my imagination is going to differ from yours. And I think that, that there's a real beauty in that with this style of writing that kind of involves you in the process almost even a little bit more where like this big complicated thing is brought to you on a plate and said like yeah i mean you just got to figure out how to understand it i guess and sometimes that's easier and sometimes that's harder but i like this story i i kind of associated this uh, what i was kind of associating it with is these short 200 page 250 page mystery stories are very much just like great movies Whereas longer books, even if it's not a series, is more like a big thought out Breaking Bad type TV show or um, even Stranger Things or any of those just like kind of large overarching stories that are pretty cool. And I think that stuff like A Song of Ice and Fire, really any Stephen King book that that goes above like 400 pages, those are more like these these drawn out stories that are I associate more with like that that TV type or like TV show type variety of telling stories where these are just like real quick movies. There doesn't need to be any more or less than it is. Nobody's asking for a number two. It's it's great just how it is. So ultimately, Grifter's Game uh, is told through the point of view of a character named Joe Marlin, and he is exactly that. He's a grifter, kind of a con man. I would say you could use those two terms interchangeably with this particular man. And he's basically just running grifts through the east coast of the country, or what seems like the east coast from what I remember. And he's basically just like getting involved with women and figuring out ways to use them for their money. Or he's staying at hotels and he's not picking up his tab. And he's basically just finding any way that he can con other people to get their money. And he does that in a lot of different ways. He does that with divorcees. He does that through the hotels. And eventually he makes his way to Atlantic City for what you perceive. This guy's whole life kind of seems like a vacation. It's basically just like working from one grift to the next till he gets enough money. And it's like, oh, I can kind of chill for a while. Oh, now I'm going to go screw over this hotel. Then I'm going to run a con. And then I'm going to go do this again in another city. It's kind of the the perception of Joe Marlin that you get right away. And he actually goes through several different names before you finally get introduced to his name, probably about halfway through the book. Until you kind of get into the main plot, You he's going by different names, but you're very aware of who he is and who his character is. Not a ton of depth. It's almost as if you don't really need to know a lot of his background. You just assumed he his entire life, he even mentions points um, at a point in the book where he mentions 
his high school, I believe, or when he was in his late teens, I think, where he where he kind of made you know con type decisions and screwed people over even way back then. So you have an idea that he's not like an honest person. He doesn't seem like a killer, I guess is the best way to put it. He's just trying to use people for their money. Well, he gets to Atlantic City and he needs to have a suitcase or else he looks very suspicious to the hotels or at least he thinks so. So he ends up stealing this suitcase and the suitcase has the initials LKB on it, which it was very strongly drawn. Your the, the your eye was your reading eye was drawn very strongly to the LKB. So you, I perceive that it was probably going to be a pretty important part of the story at that point. So he makes his way up into the his hotel room, opens up the suitcase, goes through it. Finds clothes that actually fit him, which he needed because he didn't have anything else. And he also found a very important part of the story, a ton of heroin. He tasted it. He knew it was heroin. He, heroin, he seemed to know uh, what, what it tasted like for whatever reason. And he knows right away he can't sell it because he knows that it's too much. He must have been involved with it in some way because he's very aware of the quantity that it is. And he is nervous at this point. So he actually stashes that away. I mean, you assume that it's worth some large amount of money. Heroin is a very um, expensive drug. Or actually, I don't know. I don't know how expensive it is. But I assume all drugs, once you have a lot of them, are probably pretty expensive. And he makes it seem like he has a rather large amount of it as well. So he doesn't want to sell it because he's afraid that he'll get caught up. Obviously, the person selling drugs maybe isn't the person you want to get caught stealing their goods from. So probably a good idea and he decides that he's just going to stash it away for now and he's going to ignore it so he ends up just kind of living the life at this hotel running up the tab he knows he's not going to pay it he's going to try and get out of it one way or the other and he certainly does his best to do that throughout the remainder of the story he goes to the beach and he meets this beautiful woman named mona brassard and i think that's how you pronounce her last name brassard b-r-a-s-s-a-r-d and they kind of hit it off. He finds out that she's married. He doesn't care about this because his morality is completely questionable at this point. You don't like you don't hate him because he's kind of like, you know, you're kind of in it for the crime aspect of it. But he's also just like not somebody I necessarily want to be friends with. And he is immediately very smitten by this woman. And they agree to make uh, meet back on the beach. Later that night, she has to get away from her husband, and she hates her husband. You get kind of like this whole lowdown, and she was like a 23-year-old girl who married like a 50-year-old man and all this kind of stuff for his money. So they end up meeting back there later in the evening, and they proceed to, to get involved in an affair with each other. And this is kind of where the story takes, uh, I don't want to say a, a turn, but he's no longer grifting because they seemingly fall in love incredibly quickly. And I'm not even going to question that. I know that's just this kind of sto storytelling and this kind of writing. It's like within a day, within a couple, like they had interacted with each other for a total of like what you assume to be like two hours and they're in love. And Joe is willing to basically do anything, including murder for this woman to to marry her and you know obviously she wants the money from her husband as well so they end up hatching a plan to basically kill her husband 
And in the meantime, you do find out that the heroine actually belongs to her husband. And her husband is a heroin dealer, but also might be fronting the business side of things in order to kind of launder money into what you, that he earns, I assume, from the heroin. But you, you learn that his, the LKB is actually Mona's husband. So they, they plot this scheme that both of them are very unsure about. They actually don't really have a scheme at first. They just have plans to kill him. And they also have plans to meet in New York because that is where Mona and her husband live. So they end up back in New York and she basically leaves it completely up to Joe. She does not really have much involvement in it, in the planning, and he is incredibly nervous about this whole situation. So you kind of are questioning his morality already at this point and now he's willing to murder a drug dealer but still murder them. Still doesn't seem necessarily right to me, but you know, I, I guess it's it's a it's a story. But still, the the whole thing, nobody's really good in this story. There's really not a like a like a person that you're rooting for necessarily. Like sometimes it is fun to root for the bad guy, and in this case, like at least he's mur like killing a really terrible person. But Mona ultimately has no part participation in the hatching of the plan. And she just strictly has to be there to collect the money. This is the point where I started getting very suspicious of this uh, of Mona because she was playing it very just like, yeah, we'll let you do it all. And then when you leave, we're all good. We'll meet up at this location after you've killed them. And I was pretty right that my I was pretty sure my suspicions would be right. And that's kind of how the rest of the story plays out as far as, he does kill him, but whether or not everything goes according to plan is kind of where the story takes a hold and, and makes it worth reading, I think. I think that uh, the whole lead up is you're pretty sure that like he's going to kill him. And I guess the, the biggest part of it is kind of him having to face everything. I did like the ending. I did like that Lawrence Block had Joe questioning himself both before and after committing the crime. And he definitely did have some sort of moral compass where he did see the, you know, the wrong nature in it. But it definitely d does not play out the same way that he had intended it to. Um, but this story's ending is incredibly dark that's kind of why i'm ending it right here as far as like what i'm talking about with the story because the ending is really dark like i like the whole story is it's not really like bleak it's kind of fun it's kind of upbeat at points like and then it takes a incredibly dark turn like in the last 10 pages and it, it was pretty wild i mean not like wild in like the holy holy smokes like that blew my mind kind of wild more wild than just like, oh man, Joe, 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 you need to get your life together. So, dude, I did enjoy the story. Would I, I would rec, I mean, you know, I have a hard time with the recommendations. I, I like to read, I like to tell people to read the books that I read because I want to selfishly want somebody to talk to. Like, the, the Hard Case Crimes books, I've always enjoyed. I plan on reading more of them. I recommend them if it's something, if you want that movie-type experience from a book instead of like, oh, man, I might be reading this book for the next three weeks or more. 
So it is it's it's fun to have that experience. So overall, I enjoyed it. This is considered the third. I meant to get to that earlier. This is uh, this is considered like the top in the top three. The list I had found ranked it as number three. I think I might have also seen other ones that ranked it as number one. Uh, but it's really good. It was it was a fun quick read. I, I think that any of these stories, the ones that I've read so far, are worth reading. Now, ironically, not really ironically at all, because I chose these books myself, and really I was just in that section of the library. Uh, I did check out another Lawrence Block hard case crime called Sinner Man. And that seems like it's probably told through the perspective of a criminal as well. I'm going to have to look up. I know there's a series in the, within Hard Case Crimes about a character named Nolan. And I feel like he might be a detective. But I, I want to find some that, that where the main character is a detective. I also rented Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile, which I think is what I'm actually going to do next. Uh, I wanted to read it this week. I'm going to read it this week still, but I wanted to read it because the movie's still in theaters and I didn't want, and Kate and I haven't gone to a movie together since before the pandemic. So I was really hoping I could read this book really quick. But then I looked and the last time it's showing is tonight, which is Tuesday, March 15th. So, you know, it kind of stinks, but whatever. So I'm going to still read it first because I, I enjoyed Agatha Christie's and then there were none. And then I'm going to jump into this uh, Sinner Man book, I think. Because Sinner Man, again, hard case crime, don't know which one it is. I assume it's kind of old, uh, but there, it's short. It's like, it's, again, it's like 240 pages, which I think if this was the smaller copy, I think it would probably be 200. But again, it's got this great cover, this great cover. So... Lawrence Block's Grifter's Game. I thought it was great. If you didn't, uh, I don't I don't recall the quote off the top of my head, but I love the quote. Uh, I had found this awesome quote at the very end of the book. Um, go check out my Instagram if you don't follow it already. Go check out the, uh, the, the post I had made about this book. There was a really great quote about lies that I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I should have written it down. Well, regardless of that, look out for Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. Look out for Sinner Man by Lawrence Block. Also, I didn't forget about Carrying Comfort. I realized at the end of the Needful Things series, uh, a series of episodes, I had mentioned that I was reading Carrying Comfort. I am reading Carrying Comfort still but i'm reading it for a book club so i'm kind of just trying to stay at pace with the book club just because you know it's kind of fun and i have plenty of other things to read and uh so i will be getting to carrying comfort eventually i just haven't uh, i haven't finished it yet because i've been reading some books in between and uh after i have the book club meeting i kind of want to bring maybe some of those ideas and and further expand on them here on beyond the bindings well as always i am max lopez and this is beyond the bindings <laughs>